I'm Frank Endorka, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Welcome to another edition of Solar Speaks, Solar Power World's podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. Today we are talking with Mark Sarasulo, Senior Marketing Manager at Outback Power, about off-grid and on-grid solar energy and what it means for the future of solar in the United States. Mark, welcome. Thank you very much, Frank. Glad to be here. Outback has largely been known for their off-grid technology reputation. Can you tell our listeners what that means? Sure, Frank. And it often uh, the first thing that comes up when you think about off-grid power, it's, it's romantic-sounding, and people might think of the almost you know Kincaid painting kind of uh, cabin in the, by the lake in the woods that all of us would like to live in. And in fact, in Washington State, where I'm located. Uh, People do have vacation getaways like that that uh, use off-grid power because they're not close to where there's an electrical grid to use. But in fact, off-grid evokes a lot of mission-critical use that people don't think of with that same uh, in that same context. For example, um, all the field hospitals that operate in Haiti, uh, many of those, in fact, use outback inverters. Uh, they, there's, there's no dependable power in that location, and so a lot of it's generated on site, either from diesel generators and solar arrays, things like that. Clinics in Africa, uh, schools in South America and Central America, uh, research stations at uh, both ends of the earth at either pole, for example, uh, the places like Antarctica where uh, they get a lot of sun for part of the year, uh, and uh, in fact it's cold in ideal circumstances to run solar panels. Um, that's an off-grid location. Climbing stations high up in the Alpines, uh, forward operating military bases, or what they call FOBs. Uh, military, in fact, is trying to reduce its dependency on uh, uh, fossil and liquid fuels because uh, uh, fuel transport is a vulnerable point. It's easy for uh, an enemy to take those out with uh, roadside devices, things like that. And that's kind of a Achilles heel for any modern, modern military operations. So they're trying to reduce their dependency. So they go off grid a lot with their forward operating bases. And uh, the reputation for, for my company, Outback Power, was in fact based on on those kinds of uses and the environments they operated. And, and uh, uh, so it's really, uh, uh, off-grid is, is really a lot of different things. And the uh, uh, cabin by the lake is probably the, well, the prettiest uh, image that it evokes. Certainly not the most critical. For us, it's a, it's a very critical uh, enterprise. So what types of applications uh, would use off-grid technology? You've talked about a few of them, Mark, but, but talk to me about some other ones. Sure. Well, really, anywhere that there's either no grid, South Pole's a perfect example. The you know, nearest utility is going to be uh, you know thousands of miles away in another, in another continent. Uh, that's one. There's simply no grid to connect to. Uh, another, though, would be um, uh, where there may be a grid, but it's not one you can depend on. And that, that's where the concept of, say, the mini-grid comes in, which you find in a lot of places in the world. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, give you a couple of examples. Uh, there, are, there are in Africa, South America, uh, South Asia, especially places like India, for example. Uh, there may be um, uh, uh, towns, villages, places where uh, there might be an electricity grid, but it's not that dependable. Uh, it may only operate for certain times of the day. Uh, one might be because the local utility has restrictions or challenges and, and, and can't generate constantly. It may be the cost of fuel or getting fuel there. The diesel uh, transport, for example, might be a problem to a generator. Uh, so it may be on and off a lot. Uh, there may be other reliability problems. So there, 
you might have an application where um, you've got grid power for some time, but sometimes, but you need you want you want electricity all the time. You've got to have a second source. Uh, so, you know, a, a system that can that can supply you with power when the grid's not up is one that's very very valuable, and that's where a lot of off-grid systems come in. Uh, and that um, also gets into this area that Outback's known for, which is grid interactive technology. Uh, and that's uh, the ability to kind of jump from grid connected to off-grid operation and back when it's called for uh, easily and quickly and, and uh, smoothly. That's, that's very, very important. Another example would be um, telecommunications, cell towers. Uh, a lot of the world is still getting networked, getting, getting hooked up and communicating uh, increasingly with wireless. Uh, all those cell towers need power, and yet they may be miles and miles away from places where power is available, not knowing you're a grid. So those cell stations, those uh, telecommunications towers and stations, for example, oftentimes have to operate independently for days, weeks, months, even years. Uh, and they may have um, solar panels, what they call solar on a stick, uh, and they may have uh, uh, also a, a small generator when the sun's not shining to power, keep them powered. The things they have in common, battery backup, uh, an inverter that, 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 that can both uh, run from, say, a generator and run from a, uh, a portable or field generator and run from solar panels, and do the switching between them, uh, are very similar to what you might find in an off-grid or grid interactive uh, residence or commercial system. So there's a lot of commonality there, but those are also off-grid off -grid examples. Uh, Aviation navigation beacons off in the middle of nowhere, yet another one, you know, where there might be telemetry requirements or something with aircraft, and there might be a station that's miles from any electricity source. Weather stations, you know, those would all be off-grid applications. Uh, all of them are very tough, and again, it, you know, a lot of times you find that the products designed for that environment, designed for those uses, uh, often have an advantage when brought back to commercial or residential applications because you know they've already been there and done that and they, they can they can operate at these extremes which makes them great for the mainstream. What kind of payback are consumers seeing with solar systems versus other types of renewable energy like wind? They are that's an interesting question because solar has some inherent advantages. First, I should state, and this is very important, Outback Power, our, our company, is, is pretty much source agnostic. Uh, we will, any energy that, uh, any, any source of energy uh, that generates uh, DC or direct current, uh, we are especially is power conversion. We convert it to AC, we manage it, we store it, uh, we distribute it, uh, we can charge the, the power system. But uh, that's, that's fundamentally uh, what we do. So whether it's solar or wind or micro hydro or biomass uh, or diesel generator in some many parts of the world or whatever, uh, if you, if it generates DC power, outbanks the company. We, our stuff takes it and takes that power and then turns it into something you can use to run your appliances, run your, your refrigeration, run your air conditioning, uh, run your uh, lighting. You know your your communications, your entertainment, anything. So. We'll, we'll work with any of it. Um, but the thing about solar is that it really is the most deployable of the systems out there. It's the most kind of grassroots one, if you will. Um, you know, first of all, uh, it's, uh, the, the sun is abundant. It's abundant everywhere on Earth. Uh, keep in mind the Earth gets something like uh, uh, 86,000 terawatts of solar energy every day fall on it. That's 86,000 trillion watts. 
And to put that in perspective, um, the Earth uses electricity every day at the rate of only 16 terawatts, TW, uh, 16 trillion watts. It's a lot of power, but the sun delivers far more than we could ever possibly use uh, to our planet every day. So solar is simply a way to harness that. Um, it's a uh, it, it's a solid state power source. It, it literally has no moving parts. Uh, the sun falls onto silicon modules and they generate electricity uh, in in uh, a very understood and replicable process. Uh, and uh, there's nothing that moves. You know, it's only one of uh, two solid state power sources that I know of, and it's the only one that isn't lethal. You know, the other being you know solid state nuclear power. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very easy to deploy. Pretty much anybody who has access to a roof or uh, a surface near their, their premises can, can put up um, solar panels. Wind, on the other hand, uh, you've got to erect a tower, uh, or you've got to erect some structure to hold the turbine up on. You may have to have multiple turbines. Uh, they have a lot of moving parts. They need to be overhauled. They have regular maintenance cycles. You have to climb up and do it or have a pro climb up and do it. A lot of people aren't in the path of uh, consistent wind. Uh, and uh, the sun is, is a very consistent source as opposed to wind. So there's a lot of limitations on it. It's great for big wind farms and, 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 and installations like that, but for individuals, it gets more challenging. Same thing with um, hydro and microhydro. Uh, you know, it's great if you have running water on your property with sufficient force to run a turbine, but not many of us have that. In Washington State, for example, it's... Uh, uh, it's one of the states where probably more people do than other places because we have a lot of mountains and you know Washington's a very hydro-oriented uh, state. But even so, uh, you, you also run into, with both wind and hydro, environmental implications. Uh, if you're interfering with water flow, then you certainly have a lot of permitting and regulation to deal with. Uh, wind farms are the same way. There's lots of opposition to them sometimes. Uh, even on a neighborhood basis with a smaller one, they do affect birds. Uh, there was an article, I think, in the Wall Street Journal just a week or two ago saying that the, the newest thing being leveled against wind farms now is that they actually raise ground temperatures. They're finding that in Texas and other places near the, uh, near the bottom of these big uh, wind installations, and that may affect wildlife. So uh, there's a lot of payback challenges to other renewable energy systems that uh, people that install solar don't really have to deal with. And, and to put the payback into perspective, um, it looks like it, it varies from all over the country uh, because, uh, you know, you, um, you end up with uh, uh, the sun falling very, very uh, uh, abundantly in some areas and not so much others. But if you take a state like Washington, where I am, and uh, you look at the, uh, uh, all the incentives available for solar and then you factor in the cost of the system, uh, the payback in Washington State uh, with, the, with the incentives is about eight years. I think the national average is um, actually uh, uh, runs a little bit uh, higher than that, so we do pretty well. But in areas like Southern California, Nevada, uh, Phoenix uh, in Arizona or other places, uh, the payback is even higher because you know there's, there's more sunlight and you can, you can take advantage of the incentives and the production incentives even faster. Uh, but even in places like Alaska, they're, 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 which, which gets uh, uh, much less sunlight than Washington State, there's still uh, uh, there's there's still a payback window. So I think you, you say anything from say uh, five, six to eleven years, you're, you're probably about right for the entire country. Al 
TalkBack Power also provides grid interactive technology for consumers. How does this technology play a part in powering their home or business? Well, the key word here is powering. Um, grid Interactive can do that directly because it's a backup system in place. Uh, simple grid-tied systems, we'll have to uh, take a look at those first, which is what most people have. That's what most people get. They get what's called a simple uh, grid-tied inverter, spring inverter. Um, it generates energy which is variable. You get a lot when the conditions are right. You get a lot when there's a lot of sun. You get less when there's clouds in front of the sun or when trees, you know, branches, you know, uh, move in front of the panels, things like that. Uh, and of course, you don't get any power at night. You only get it during the day. So what they do is they augment your grid-provided power. Uh, so you use less of it when the sun's shining. And maybe if the sun's shining enough, and where it's you know temp the conditions are really right, the sun's shining and it's not too warm out, it's actually cool. Uh, then maybe during peak generation, you're even able to get a surplus, and you might run your meter backwards. Let's say during the peak of the day. You're running uh, a few things in your home. Uh, maybe you're not even home, and so you've got a lot more power than you need. Well, you're you're actually running your meter backwards and selling it back to the utility. And it's a good deal. Uh, so up to that point, generating your own energy to lower your utility bills and living greener and occasionally producing a surplus, which builds up as a credit, grid tied and grid interactive really accomplish the same thing. Uh, but they get where they get different is um, really when things aren't so good. One. If there's an outage, your grid-tied system can't keep you powered. In fact, it has to disconnect per national and international safety standards uh, because it can't provide power to the grid when it's down because utility crews working on that grid could, could be hurt or even killed uh, by that, that, that back-fed power. There's also variability reasons. If you uh, had a simple grid-tied system, and even if you could keep it connected during an outage, the power would be so variable for the things I just said, like shadows, trees, clouds, everything. It would be going up and down, and, and the variations would just mean this fluctuating power couldn't be used. You couldn't run your electronics off of it. Uh, you'd, you'd be able to run the lights off of it. They'd be dimming and brightening constantly. It just wouldn't be very, very uh, usable. What a grid interactive system does uh, is it stores up energy as well as sells it back to the grid or, or, or uses it to lower your electric bills. It can store it up in, in batteries. It can charge those batteries. And there's a, there's a source of power available if the grid goes down. It has a smarter inverter, which has um, uh, uh, what we call a um, transfer switch. And it's able to operate bidirectionally. It can switch both ways. And what it will do is it will convert your system from grid tied when the grid's up to off-grid when it's down. So your house literally goes from the suburban home, saving money like everybody else, to the cabin in the woods. <laughs> when the grid goes down, you, you've got the cabin and you've got your own independent system. And it can run critical loads in your house. It can run you know, essential lighting. It can run your PC, internet connection, your television. It can keep your refrigeration on. It can still run your furnace, things like that. Um, so you'll have, you'll have specific loads connected to it to be run that way. During the day, you can charge up your batteries. At night, you can live off the battery power. Or you can run a generator during the day, and then at night, you can run off the battery power, uh, uh, charged by both the solar panels and the, and the generator, and not bother your neighbors. So there's all kinds of things you can do with it. The other thing, too, is a grid interactive system is different because it lets you maximize your investment all the time. Um, let's say it's nighttime. And this is when you'd really like to have solar uh, energy available because you want to run your washer, dryer, and some other things 
but it's an expensive uh, time to, uh, the day to run up. The utility prices are higher, let's say, at night. Uh, well, if you've got a grid interactive system and batteries, you can switch over and use your batteries to run your stuff at night and just charge them up again during the day and take advantage of low electricity prices. You can save money all day long with it. You can really, uh, you know, run your appliances when it's easy, to, you know, when it's most convenient for you, not when it's most convenient for the utility and they want to charge you more money. So this grid interactive system can just do a lot more than a grid time system. It's really twice as much system. Uh, if you will, than, than a simple grid-tied system. What are the challenges or stigma that Outback has seen consumers encounter regarding transitioning energy sources over to solar? Well, I think mostly it's a lack of awareness and initial sticker shock on the investment. Uh, but when all the facts are, are, are known about solar, it's pretty compelling, uh, pretty compelling choice. The good thing is that, and, and I think I mentioned before, people fundamentally like solar. It's um, it, it's cool. It has zero environmental impact. It's an all-solid-state system, and it's uh, you know cartel monopoly and utility free. You know, as I like to say, there's no pipeline, no mines, no fracking, no drilling, uh, no no nasty headlines. Uh, you. Um, uh, I mean, as far as the uh, uh, cleanliness of the source and where the, where the energy comes from. Um, the challenges are, though, it's initially expensive, uh, and uh, yet when you know what the ultimate price is, uh, it's, it's a lot less. And I'll give you an example. Um, now, again, I'll use my own Washington state as an example. Now, Washington is, is a good state to use in a way because we get... Uh, uh, we get less sun than anywhere in the U.S. pretty much, except for Alaska. If you remember, in fact, the Twilight novels were located here, the setting for Twilight's lit here, because Washington gets so little sun, it's supposed to be ideal for vampires. So uh, we're not exactly known as the sunshine capital of the country. We get uh, a little more sun than Alaska, and uh, however, Alaska gets more sun than Germany, and Germany is the most solarized country in the world. So, so Washington's a good one to use. It's, it's uh, you know, if you can make it here in solar, you can pretty much make it anywhere. And, uh, you know, to paraphrase the song. And uh, here in Washington, um, with the state incentive, the federal incentives, which is a, a three-year tax credit, uh, the state incentives uh, for uh, both purchasing and, and production credits, and then the local utility incentives, as you add those on top of it, a, a person getting a solar system here uh, for power can pretty much pencil in about 35 to 40% off of the initial sticker price uh, over the first three years. And then that's also on top of the money they'll be saving uh, on their utility bills. Uh, and that means that, uh, that means that payback is going to be in about eight years, for example, when you, when you factor in the utility bills. But it's going to be about 35 to 40% less. Now, the other interesting thing, though, is that one thing that we find homeowners really react well to is that there's a couple of other things that a solar power system can do for you uh, to make your home uh, a lot more valuable. One is that, uh, according to uh, Forbes magazine recently did a study uh, from uh, uh, some of the remodeling organizations, and they found that uh, solar had, I think, one of the highest, if not highest, uh, recoups of any home improvement you can make. It was 97%, which is, which is astonishingly high. Um, you know, put that in perspective, kitchen, you know, big deal kitchen remodeling, for example, somewhere in the 80s, what you might get back, and that slowed way down during the housing crisis. But solar 
right now during the during the housing uh, uh, environment is is 97 percent, which means you're going to get almost all of it back. And that's on top of the money you save on your utilities. So if you put solar in your home, um, you're going to you're going to get almost the entire cost of that installation back if you resell. And then the key is reselling. Um, uh, the Department of Energy uh, and uh, uh, some others did, did uh, research that showed that homes with solar sell almost twice as fast as homes without it, even in depressed markets. In places like Southern California, New Jersey, where you know they've got a lot of solar but also a lot of challenges in the housing market, uh, solar-equipped homes just sell a lot faster. So it can even make you more mobile. It can make your house easier to sell, especially when selling the home itself is a challenge. So when you look at that, uh, the investment is really, uh, you know, uh, makes eminent sense for anybody owning a home because it'll make their home easier to sell. It'll make their home faster to sell if they want to move, and they'll get 97% of their uh, their investment back uh, when they when they sell. And and not only that, but they can take about 35 or 40 percent off the cost of that investment which will pay itself back over the long term. You know, of course, depending on where they live, that'll be either sooner or later. So when they know all of that, then solar looks like uh, really a much, much more, you know, meaningful and, and, and logical investment than it might look off, uh, off the top and just take your first look at it. What are uh, the renewable energy options people have as they get closer to summer with uh, more potential blackouts? That's uh, really interesting looking at it that way because blackouts are one problem and brownouts are actually another. And one is actually more dangerous than the, than the other. Uh, I used to live in Southern California. We had a joke about our four seasons. There were floods, fires, earthquakes, and brownouts. <laughs> and uh, brownouts were the ones that could damage all your consumer electronics and your, uh, uh, your, 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 your uh, uh, PC and, and, all, and, and everything else in your house. So people were very concerned about those. So uh, summer is, of course, a brownout and, and, and blackout season. But you know, we're seeing we're seeing really less seasonality in that now, uh, which, which maybe isn't a good thing because um, we've had these life. We, we seem to be vulnerable to life-altering events throughout the year. You know, record snowstorms uh, last year, of course, in the Northeast. I think what was it, October, maybe October, November, when Connecticut parts of Connecticut were out of power for over for a month because of record early snow. Uh, we've had um, record tornadoes this year and, and last year, of course, and then look at all the people that had no power after the wake of uh, uh, Irene on the uh, on the East Coast last year, last uh, last uh, late last summer. So um, uh, it's really becoming a, 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 a you know a, a kind of an equal opportunity uh, destroyer here as far as seasons are concerned, uh, and uh, I think that. You know, the summer, winter, there's really, you know, just about any time of the year is one when you want to have a renewable energy option. Uh, the, the concept is um, especially attractive in summer with solar, of course, because that's when an array can most efficiently charge and recharge your backup system. Uh, it's more convenient for a homeowner, for small business or home office. It could be a difference between, say, recovery and disaster. It's brownouts, like I said before, could actually be dangerous and take equipment out. Uh, and the obvious benefit to a, a business or uh, light commercial installation is that you'll stay in business when uh, when the grid's down. You can keep it up and running. So, you know, it's it's uh, it really summer is a good time to have the investment in place. But truthfully, it's one you're probably going to use all year round the way uh, the way things have been going. What is OPEX's prediction for solar power on the renewable energy market? Well, 
I think uh, with that, you have to look into history a little bit. We think that solar is uh, going to you know, really be a big, big part of our energy infrastructure moving forward. Not only we think that, but the solar industry is, is working toward a goal of by 2030 or 2040 of having solar account for about 20% of the, uh, uh, the world's uh, uh, energy production. Right now, to put that in perspective, that's what natural gas is today. 16 terawatts I mentioned that uh, the Earth uh, consumes every day, of that, less than two are from any kind of a clean energy source. And clean energy, clean energy sources can include some, some non-renewables, the ones that just simply aren't, aren't, aren't that dirty. Uh, so solar obviously has a huge, huge role to play in the future. Um, it's really, really that grassroots approach that it's the one that, it, unlike the utility markets that favor big top-down energy sources, uh, solar is the one that can really come from the bottom up. You know, people can apply it at their at their home, uh, in their community, uh, in uh, uh, multifamily dwellings, uh, you know, community centers and condo developments. For example, we're seeing a lot of solar going in there because, you know, there's a there's a building, a central area where they might want to go to a renewable source. And so you're seeing solar coming up in ways that, you know, other energy systems really, really can't. It's, it's really gets into the future of energy from all the sources. When you look at wind, when you look at solar as renewables and hydro, uh, and of course biomass, but also when you look at where the non-renewable sources are going, you look at the challenges facing oil, the geopolitical challenges facing oil and its delivery and its production. Uh, I don't think anybody sees that as getting any cheaper or working itself out anytime soon. You look at natural gas, which which uh, is, is a very promising area as well, but then you have the uh, controversy around fracking and extracting a lot of it, and plus, uh, it's so, um, there's so much of it right now that uh, they've cut back on, on uh, uh, production. And uh, just recently, the last two weeks, there have been headlines about the prices starting to swing up again. So there's always going to be that volatility in pricing and in supply and delivery that's going to make those sources increasingly expense, more expensive, and, and, and they seem to be going one way, which is up. I mean, anybody who you know, buys gas for a car can see that, you know, draw the line but, you know, on, uh, on uh, uh, petrochemical uh, costs in the U.S. On the other hand, solar is the uh, investment that seems to keep going down, uh, and the cost of it, uh, it gets better and better. It's now past uh, nuclear power. A while ago, in fact, it's much it's cheaper than nuclear power. And I remember when I was a kid growing up in uh, uh, in the 50s, where they were promising us that uh, someday nuclear power would be too cheap to meter. Well, we, we by the time we were old enough to pay our electric bills, we wouldn't be an electric bill to pay. Well, that didn't happen. We all know you know where that went. Well, solar today is is, is far exceeding that promise that that government-backed energy resource failed at. Uh, uh, you know, a couple of generations ago, and it's still going in the right direction. So I, I'd say that it's it's something that you know I see a very strong future in. If people want to go find out more about Outback Power, Mark, where can they go? Well, um, you know, the the easy and convenient answer is always they can go to you know outbackpower.com, and we've got a lot of you know resources and great information on our website. Uh, but also, um, they can look at us in, um, if they want to get an idea of applications where we fit. Uh, the, um, uh, you know, NASA, for example, uses Outback uh, products on, uh, even on uh, uh, near space missions and uh, 
testing simulations for uh, uh, off-world colonies, things like that. It's really interesting place where Outback is. Uh, if you if you look at Outback online, you'll find it anywhere from the, the fishing vessels on the deadliest catch to uh, uh, you know to schools in uh, uh, the Sub-Sahara. And uh, so you know Outback is 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 really. Uh, in, in all these interesting places all over the world, you'll find it popping up again. I just watched the uh, uh, film Carbonation, for example, which is um, uh, about you know going toward cleaner energy in the future. Uh, it's a it's a movie about uh, 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 climate change for people who possibly don't even believe in climate change, and it's a good film. Uh, Outback Power plays a role in that. Our, our, our products show up uh, behind a lot of these installations. We're just always there in the backdrop. So that's. That's really, you know, where people can find us is behind, we're kind of the behind-the-scenes company that makes all these renewable and other sources work. Uh, and then, of course, you can get the complete information on that out on our website. So, uh, so that's how you can pull it all together. Thanks, Mark. We've been talking with uh, Mark Sirisulo, Senior Marketing Manager at Outback Power, about off-grid and on-grid solar energy and what it means for the future of solar in the United States. This has been Solar Speaks, Solar Power World Magazine's podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. I'm Frank Andorka, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Until next time.